Welcome to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Intentional exists to help parents in their God-given task to raise passionate Jesus followers. We exist to bring hope, help, and healing to families. Each week, we will talk about anything from parenting, marriage, lifestyle, and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. Intentional is made up of Phil and Diane Comer and Brooke and Elizabeth Moser. I am Brooke, and the funny thing is, we are all family. Elizabeth is Phil and Diane's daughter, so we're a family figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. Welcome back to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Um, Yet again, it's mom and I, and we have a really fun guest, Tammy Comer. I want to say your full, like, (laughs) Spanish name. Can you say it for us? Just say it once. Tammy de Lourdes. Jauregui was my last name, but now it's Comer. So now it's Tammy May de Lourdes Comer. Comer. It falls a little flat. But that's okay. I like it. (laughs) It just sounds like a Spanish royal. It sounds like Spanish royalty to me. Mm-hmm. It totally does. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. So, and now it's Comer because you married my brother, I did. John Mark, I forever did. ago. Yeah. 20. Are you well, guys coming up on 20? Well, we've been married like 18, almost 19 years. It'll be 19 in June and together for 21 years. Wow. Yeah. So you were 17 mm-hmm. when I met you. Yeah. And I was 14. I yeah. Yeah. We moved to Medford for a few years, and yeah. you would pick me up every day for school. That's right. You with your Bex. long, well, you still have long hair, but you were a total uh-huh. hippie at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you had this great Mercedes named Sadie. That's right. Old yeah. Mercedes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have so many memories of that time. We've lived a lot of life together, mm-hmm. and I am so glad you married my brother. You are the best thing that ever could have happened to him. Aww. Seriously. I think you're biased, but Well, thanks. we just like you a lot. Mm-hmm. But... um. But you know, the last couple episodes, we, mom, you shared your story of losing your hearing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. suffering and how important it is to teach our kids a theology of suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and today, Tammy, you have just a beautiful story of what God has taught you through suffering and through mm-hmm. your own journey being not what you pictured it would be and mm-hmm. your life not being exactly like you thought mm-hmm. and just wrestling some deep disappointments mm-hmm. and um, learning a lot about yourself and learning a lot about who God is in the midst of all of that. And mm-hmm. so I'm just so grateful that you are going to just talk with us and share honestly. I know it's not always easy to share the deep, hard parts of your story that are not what you would have written yourself right. if you were mm-hmm. choosing to write it. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, any of us who've walked through something hard um, mm-hmm. can can so often just speak to the incredible faithfulness of Jesus and how he's just so redemptive and teaches us things, takes us places we never could have gone mm-hmm. on our own. And so before we get into that, would you just introduce us to your family? Like what stage of life do you find yourself in now? Yeah, Um so I have three children. Um, Jude is my oldest. He's 14. Uh, he'll be 15 in October. Moses is 11, and he um, will be 12 in October. And then I, my daughter just turned 11 also. 
Sunday. Yep, Sunday. And she's lovely. So we have two boys and a girl. It's a very full house. All mm-hmm. creatives. Um, yes. No athletes. Well, Sunday's <laughs> kind of an athlete. She mm-hmm. she loves ballet and uh, she's very, you know, naturally kind of gifted like that. But yeah, it's a full house. Um, but it's it's a fun stage. It's been challenging too. Teenage years are have been challenging, but also fun. Yeah. Um I I feel like Jude is becoming like what I'd call like a good hang. Like I'm enjoying hanging out with that him. That kid you know? is amazing. Mm-hmm. I he he's always been amazing. But I just remember him as like a three year old having like full on like <laughs> huge vocabulary yeah. conversations. Yeah. That the the like emotional intelligence and like relational ability of that boy is second to none. Yeah. And then to watch him just be turn into a little man. I mean, yeah. I just saw him a few weeks ago, and he's like hit a growth spurt, yeah. and like he's Started just incredible. Out. I it's know, totally blown my mind. The sense of humor in that kid too yeah. is yeah. yeah. And then Moses, so creative. Yeah, yeah, your kids are some of my favorite little people to be around. Oh, thanks. They're well, amazing. They love their cousins. They, they love your sure kids. do. <laughs> We're ready for all this quarantine to be over, so they can see each other again. But you have had quite a journey mm-hmm. in motherhood and marriage and health. Mm-hmm. And um, would you just tell us a little bit about that? What have the last, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years looked like for you? With like with parenting or what? No, with like your health journey. Oh, with my health. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess uh, long story, well, shorter. When I was a kid, when I was five, I was bit by a tick. Um, and when I was 11, so six years later, I was hospitalized and diagnosed with Lyme disease. And basically like at the time we just didn't, my parents didn't know anything about Lyme and we didn't know that it could, if you don't um, treat it right away, that you could have lasting complications from an infection like that. Um, and so I think um, it really, like growing up, I was kind of like low energy and my mom, I remember my mom thought I had like a sleeping disease when I was a teenager because <laughs> I was sl- slept so much. But I just kind of, I'm pretty chill by nature. I'm really, you know, um, laid back. And so I just thought I was kind of low energy. Um, but really, I think after uh, the birth of Jude, my first yeah. son, um, we started to kind of see that something was not quite right with my body. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I think uh, I think it was a bit of a rude awakening um, to first start to figure out that and to realize – I remember the first time I met with a doctor who, who said, I think this is related to um, you having Lyme disease as a kid. I think this is actually – um, actually repercussions from that. And I remember being really surprised by that, but it made a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I ended up uh, getting diagnosed with a digestive disorder and I kind of just was maintaining, I think, yeah. mediocre for, for a fair bit of years. And I feel like for me, kind of my health journey um, required some humbling um, that happened, I think, in stages Um it really wasn't until about four years ago that kind of everything changed for mm-hmm. me. I would say that was where the change really happened. And it was basically um, 
my one night I went to sleep and my eyes did something weird and I thought like I'd had a seizure maybe. Mm-hmm. And basically within a few month period, my body just went totally crazy neurologically and it spiraled kind of out of control. I was shaking like I had Parkinson's. I was weak. I could, I remember walking downstairs having to hold on to the railing like I could barely get down a stair. Mm. Um, I was had all, all, I was having so many uh, bizarre neurological symptoms. It was like every day there was something new. Yes. I remember that. And I yeah. have, and since then, you know, I've had, you know, close to 10 MRIs. I had a spinal tap, EKG, EEG. I mean, you kind of name it, I had it. They were, at first- Well, and they were looking for like terrifying things and something was clearly wrong. Yeah. I mean, at first they thought I had a brain tumor and then I didn't, which was great. But then they thought (laughs) spinal tumors, it wasn't that. Then they kind of went down a rabbit trail of all kinds of different things. And I think if I'm honest, I- I mean, I, I totally thought I was dying. It was a bizarre yeah. experience. Um, and I felt like kind of when I started to come to peace with that, that's when they started saying uh, more like degenerative diseases and like uh, movement disorders, things that cripple you mm-hmm. but um, let you live. And that, I think, for me was harder um, to swallow. Um, and then... Um, kind of everything kind of came to a head basically after so i had this crazy neurological flare-up and then about a year later so so not a well i guess a year ago from now um like a year previous to now um my doctor had sent me to a specialist who worked in neurology and um i remember he ran a bunch of tests And at this point, I had been kind of maintaining mediocre. I'd been, like, embracing my limitations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd been trying to, like, work toward acceptance. You know, I'd kind of done a lot of the inner work of recognizing. I'd been sick for about, you know, a year. Mm -hmm. And – but I I was learning to deal with it. And I I didn't feel quite so – I felt like my symptoms had kind of calmed down. I was much more stable. But my doctor – knew it was likely Lyme like at the time. That's probably what it – that's what's causing all of this. It felt clearer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I remember they basically kind of – after running a ridiculous amount of tests, they kind of – the doctors kind of landed on this is either Lyme or this is MS. And Mm -hmm. I'm still on on watch for MS. But I don't don't think it is MS. But I've had – kind of like complications from Lyme. And that's the thing with Lyme is like it's super vastly like ambiguous Yeah, as far as some people like totally recover from Lyme. You're like totally fine. Yeah, And other people are bedridden for years or Mm -hmm. get Bell's palsy where like half their face goes limp for months at a time. I was really nervous about that. Um, But I I feel like there was – it was just kind of like all over the map. Like there was like no plan, but yeah. I felt like, okay, Lyme, like I've, I think I've had this like forever, you know, issues from this. So anyway, but the doctor ended up sending me to the specialist and he ran a bunch of tests, calls me into his office. And I remember he sat, sat me down and he said, I think that um, these spasms that you're having in your eyes and your face, which was like one of the primary issues I was having is a form of a specific like rare neurological disorder and you're going to go home and you're going to Google it 
And I remember he said, and it's going to totally freak you out. <laughs> and and then he said, but I want you to come back and I want to see you again. And I thought, oh, this guy, he doesn't know how much I've worked through this stuff. I'm going to be fine. So I left. I Google everything. <laughs> WebMD yeah. is yeah. my best friend. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. I went home. I Googled it. And I was devastated. Yeah. And I remember I went to sleep for like two hours. And at the mm-hmm. time, John Mark was traveling. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I said, um, I remember he called and said, okay, Tam, tell me, what did the doctor say? And I remember I said, um, I'm not telling you. I'm going to wait till you get home. He said, no, you need to tell me. I said, no, I do not want you Googling this. I need to tell you in person. This is totally, like, not okay. And um, <laughs> so, you know, long story short, I mean – I think with my health stuff, I had to, there was like wrestling with God, like at different stages. Um, But when it came to this specific instance, I still remember, um, I have like this really vivid memory of like three years before this appointment, being at the height of this neurological flare up, being with my community group. And my eyes were going crazy. They were like, I had a headache. There was having spasms down my face. And I remember crying and talking to one of the women in my community group and saying, this is so gnarly. Like, how much worse could these spasms possibly get? Like, how much worse could this get? Like, mm-hmm. it's progressing so quick. Like, what, what could this even be? And then in hindsight, like a year later, after looking that up, And then reading all the government website, you know, learning about the disease itself, it could get way worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was literally if you could hand pick my worst nightmare, that Mm -hmm. is what this disorder was. So I remember that John Mark was out of town and you called me and asked me if I would come over. And that you just needed to talk. And us sitting out mm, on the back deck overlooking the that. forest. Yeah. And and one of the things I remember best about this is that you were grieving so honestly. Mm. Which was not the culture that, you know, you came from, background church culture that you yeah. came from that was like, you know, praise the Lord for everything. Mm-hmm. It was just raw and real and mm-hmm. this could happen to me. Yeah. And showed me a picture. Of, uh-huh. of somebody who had this disease progressed terribly yeah. and you were processing and, and weeping yeah, and wondering how this wouldn't ruin everything Absolutely. in your life. Yeah. And, but I think that was so amazing about that time as you must have hated every second of it. And yet, because you were so honest, mm. saying the things out loud, saying them to me, a woman, I think that was almost like a really fast progression through that side of your grief mm. because instead of pretending that it would, might just go away or it wouldn't be or it wasn't, mm-hmm. you were just really st- almost strict with yourself about facing it. Yeah. How how did you come to that point? Hmm. Well, I think it, you know, <laughs> I think for me, all of the health stuff started with, um, you know, it, again, it was like a progression. I think at first I realized I don't think that I was even being honest with myself 
let alone with God or with my husband or friends or family, mm-hmm. when I first figured out that like that I was having health issues and that it was causing a struggle in my life. Mm-hmm. So I remember like when my babies were little, when Jude was little, I remember him crying and thinking, why, why don't mom, if everybody feels like this when they get out of bed, why don't more moms talk about it? Because I'm exhausted. I literally felt like I could barely get out of bed, but yeah. I still did it. And I'm like, I'm not going to complain. No, I'm just going to like man up. Do this it. is motherhood. This yeah, must this be is what just, it is. This must yeah. just be normal. And, um, and even if it's not, I'm not going to be the person to complain. I'm going to hold my own. And I think there was just this like amount of pride and it was like pride that kept getting broken down until finally, I think when I had this flare up where all of a sudden I couldn't hide anymore. You know, I couldn't hide when I'm shaking and when I can barely get out of bed and when I'm waking my husband in the night, like, I think you might have to take me to the hospital. Um, there was no hiding at that point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, um, then to have, I mean, I still remember in that conversation I had with my community when my face was so flared up, I remember crying out to Jesus and saying, Lord, please, anything but my face, please, Lord, anything but my face. Like you can take my hair, you can take my legs. I could, I think I could do a wheelchair, but if you, if I lose the ability, like my face, that would just be so grave to me Mm -hmm. because I'm so relational, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and the thing is, and a year later or whatever, when I get this diagnosis, it was literally like the height of this disease, you, it would make it hard to eat, hard to talk, hard to kiss your husband. It makes it hard to, to literally like do anything with your face, hard to go out and not be stared at. I mean, it's just so gnarly. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, being faced with the reality of this is, Lord, we, I, I literally remember sitting with John Mark and saying, babe, I told the Lord anything but mm. my face. And that's what this is. There was like this deep sadness and disappointment, but yeah. like it was my face. And like, if it progressed, everybody's going to know it. Yeah. There's not, there's like, no what, more hiding. There's no more hiding. No. And Everything I was reading was saying you have a 50% chance of it of it progressing in your lifetime. So it's not even like, even though like I'm actually in a good season right now, I'm not like super flared up all the time. I have more energy than normal, but my spasms aren't gone. No. You know, so like when they come, they remind me like, ah, oh, like I'm still living in uncertainty. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I... It, it has been this like hard but like redemptive uh, thing that has changed me, I think, yeah. because when you have to wrestle with God around something, like I found that God met me right in the reality of my story, yeah. not in the idealism that I so badly projected and embraced I think all of those younger years of my life like I'm 38 now I'm not shy about my age I'm not I think your your perspective on things changes like when I was younger I had like all this idealism around how I would age how Mm -hmm. I would be as a mom how I'd be as a wife and then all of a sudden 
in one, I mean, it was like getting these hard, wrestling with these hard possibilities and limitations Mm -hmm. that affected my whole family. All of a sudden it was like, you know, the idea of like, oh, well, I'll age gracefully. You know, if I work out and take good care of myself, um, you know, and I eat well, I'm going to just, you know, look just fine. And I'll just have, you know, whatever. I'll worry about gray hair and wrinkles. Now I'm like, gray hair and wrinkles, bring them on. It's all good. <laughs> but I mean, I just think yeah. your perspective changes. But what was so interesting is I feel like the depth of like intimacy that came in that season, both with my family and my husband and Mm -hmm. also with Jesus, like he met me there. And like, I honestly am different because of it, because he taught me that like, I could be vulnerable with him, but it started with being like vulnerable with myself, like being honest. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. I had to be honest with myself that this is the reality of my story and I had anger and disappointment and sadness around it. And I wasn't like the woman I envisioned I'd grow into. I mean, just my life doesn't look like that, but my life is deeply good. My, yeah. I mean, I've, I love my life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love my husband. I love my kids. I wouldn't change my life for anybody mm-hmm. or anybody else's. But I am still grieved by some yes. of the weight um, and you didn't just get to, I love my life. I've accepted this. No it was way. a process of yeah. first, what I'm hearing you say is first recognizing I had this ideal mm-hmm. of the mom I was going to be, the wife I was going to be, the life I was going to have Yeah, because I follow Jesus. I do all these things. I work yeah. out. I, Aww. you know, and, and like so many of us moms do. You took pride in, I'm going to take care of my family. Yeah. I'm going to take care of the kids. That's, yeah. You took your role as a mom and a wife really seriously. And yeah. so like so many of us do, mm-hmm. you had an ideal mm-hmm. that worked for you for a while mm-hmm. until it slowly started <laughs> until to it not, didn't. until it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. I hear you saying is it was first even just recognizing that honesty with yourself, recognizing mm-hmm. I have an ideal that I'm actually not, that mm-hmm. that's not the story I have, mm-hmm. and I'm not that ideal. And you, and you mentioned feeling anger and having to process that yeah. with the Lord. Like, do you remember, you know, that was a while ago now, like first having to process that, but do you remember what that looked like? Or I'm just thinking of all the people listening who are like, okay, I'm just now realizing mm. I had this ideal that is not what is my reality, which I yeah. think is so many of us, you know? Um, what did that look like for you? Like, what was the beginning of recognizing, okay, I need to accept hmm. this first stage, you know, because we, yeah. it often in hindsight, we see that certain things were linear or in stages, but in the moment it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. But what did it look like for you in the beginning? I think sitting in grief, honestly, and having to relinquish control looked like, um, sitting with Jesus and just, like telling him honestly this is really disappointing yeah and i think that um you know the psalms are a beautiful example to us of how open god is to our hearts being raw like i found a lot of freedom came um when i didn't have to hide anymore um and i think 
I think, you know, God is really present. I love there's a scripture that says um, he removed our shoulder from the burden. It was like, I think it's in Isaiah or somewhere. But, and I, and there's just like, I always have this picture of like the weight of a disappointment that's really grave in your life, whether that's like your health struggle Mm -hmm. or a kid with special needs or you can't get pregnant Mm -hmm. or, you know, you name it, um, the death of a dream. Um, when we carry that burden and we bring, come to Jesus in that space, it's like he removes our shoulder from that burden. Mm -hmm. It's not that the burden is gone. Mm -mm. It's not gone. It's still there. It's just that we no longer are the ones who carry it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this like partnership that comes from humbling ourselves and being honest before God. And I think that when we actually meet God in the reality of our story, we can find that idealism has been the crushing of the joy of our reality. I think there's this joy that comes in really recognizing that life is, is beautiful even when it's not perfect, Yes, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I loved, I read that book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I love that book because I felt like it was so helpful to process that you can have a meaningful, rich, purposeful life that is filled with God's goodness and have it still be filled with suffering and pain Mm -hmm. and disappointment and never get the ideals that you wanted and still have a very rich, meaningful life, Mm, even in the midst of deep suffering. And I think for me, like it it helped me learn to trust, to trust God, but that, that God was like, not afraid of my honesty. Like I, I just think, and I, and I think it, it grieves me because like in the church, I think this, especially among women, I feel like I see this like, facade that people put on is like you greet somebody in church and there's this like at least i mean this has been my experience but Mm -hmm. it's like how you doing oh good the lord bless your day hope you're doing so oh god (laughs) is so good and yet on the way to church they were fighting with their husband or they're Mm -hmm. in tears about something but it's like as soon as they interact with somebody else who's a believer they think Oh, you know, I just have to be on. I'm, just I'm gonna... supposed to be happy all the time yes. because I have the yes. Lord. Yes. And so that supposedly means that we can't be sad. Yeah. And I think I'm with you. And we, we talked about this, I think, mm-hmm. on the last episode. But I think my biggest journey has been having to learn that you can hold both joy and sorrow simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yes, And absolutely. that God is equally in the midst of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we don't grieve the reality of maybe what mm-hmm. what we thought was going to be, like mm-hmm. you're saying, your idealism of, of what you thought you were going to be. And yeah. I know the same for me of what I thought motherhood was going to totally. be. Totally, yeah. If we don't grieve what we thought was or what was, we can't embrace and love what actually is and what Absolutely. God is actually doing. Yeah. And we know we want to be where God is and what he's doing, not mm-hmm. stuck to the past or yeah. frustrated that it's not, what we wanted it to be. But if we don't acknowledge those things and that yeah. sadness and that pain, we can't get to acceptance. Like yeah. you can't, mm-hmm. you can't just jump to acceptance, which Absolutely. I think your story is proof of that of, mm-hmm. and acceptance happens in layers. We might, totally. you accepted the first diagnosis of yep. Lyme's. Okay, God, this is not what I wanted. You were yeah. honest with yourself and then honest with God. Yeah. But then it sounds like 
the diagnosis of all diagnoses, the yeah. one the one that was, please yeah. God, not my face, that yeah. felt like, I'm sure, felt like at the time, this is too big for me. Yeah. Like, this is, I could handle the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? I feel mm. like that was like your the big change moment in you yeah. that brought you, just being in close relationship with you, brought you to a place of transparency with others and people yeah. around you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even a transparency to your own kids mm-hmm. because you couldn't hide from them. Mom was yeah. in bed that and they mm-hmm. needed to know why. Yeah. And I think you did a beautiful job in that season of bringing that bringing them into that, but mm-hmm. also not instilling fear, not yeah, telling them. That's a hard balance It, it was, mm-hmm. it was. And I watched you have to just navigate that new territory. Yeah. But what was it like, you know, because you shared, you get this diagnosis, mm-hmm. you don't even want to tell your husband because you don't want yeah. him Googling it. Yeah. I remember you sending, you sent me a video. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're hey, like, look at what's happening. Watch this when you're ready. <laughs> Sit down. Um, and so I was so thankful you brought us into it. But what do you feel like changed? Because you have accepted mm-hmm. that this diagnosis is, it's not the worst case scenario. It's not the video you sent me yet. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee that this mm-hmm. isn't going to progress. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you said a 50-50 chance. Yeah. When you came in today, your eyes are flared up today. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're spasming today. Mm-hmm. And so what do you feel like helped you be mm-hmm. able to navigate this stage? Or what changed in you that yeah. I feel like you really have accepted this? Well, basically, I think for me, there was like kind of a transition moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of like a before and then the moment and then there was like an after and that I think happened um I was sitting on I I was sitting on my back deck um about I don't know this would have been how long ago now um maybe like last year is it last summer I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe and I was sitting on my back deck and I remember I'd had really good devotions that morning and I had spent some time with Jesus and I remember sitting in my bed and looking out the window and I specifically remember feeling that the spirit laid on my heart to put down my Bible and to just rest in him and then the scripture came to my mind um uh my peace I give to you my peace I leave with you not as the world gives do I give mm. to you. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Wow. And, um, and I thought, Oh, okay. And so I, and I remember I had this picture come to my mind and it was me leaning on Jesus's chest and, um, and I just loved it. I like sat in it. And then later that day, um, it was actually a day that I had been to the hospital in the morning cause I had this random, well, I had this test for this weird thing. And then the day before that day, I'd actually gone in to the hospital for another test for a mammogram. And, um, I was sitting on my back deck and I remember I got this phone call and it was a hospital and they said, I'm so sorry, but your test came back and we needed to come in cause they found something. And I said, Oh, you must be mistaken. I've already been in this morning for a, a, a test, like what you're asking for. And they said, no, I'm so sorry. It's your mammogram that has come back abnormal. Mm-hmm. And I remember in that moment, it was like probably a month after I'd had this diagnosis put on the table with my face. Yeah. And I'd been wrestling, you know, back and forth with the Lord, just like saying like, we talked about this. 
We talked about my face. That was the one thing that was off the table. You're not supposed to. Not cool. Not cool. Like, I am like, what, you know, really wrestling with this. I remember I got that phone call and breast cancer runs my family um, really heavily on my mom's side. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. That is, this is ridiculous. This is like too much. Mm. And I remember I hung up the phone. I burst into tears and I called my sister-in-law, Abby, um, who is somebody who's very acquainted with grief, um, lost her daughter, really sad, um, lovely sister. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember she prayed for me and I was reminded in that moment of my devotions from that morning and Mm -hmm. that I felt like God had said to lean on him and to that his peace he would leave with me and it was almost like in that moment i was able to i felt like you know that story in um the old testament about david where david has an affair with bathsheba Mm -hmm. and you know she he she gets pregnant and she's gonna lose the baby and he is totally grieved and he's wrestling with god he's wrestling wrestling with god asking god to spare the baby's life and then God doesn't spare the baby's life. It The baby dies and super sad. And then it says that he gets up, he washed his face, and he sat down to eat. It was almost like my emotional experience was like I wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. And then when it became too much, it was like, it was like too much for me to carry. I, it was like I c- literally couldn't carry it all. Yeah. It was like I cannot mentally be okay with the possibility of my of this happening and at the same time possibility of having breast cancer now um by the grace of god it doesn't i mean i'm on watch but they i don't think that i do have that i haven't been diagnosed with that but i think it was just this catalyst of of release like where david grieves yeah. gets up washes his face and he's he's able to sit down and eat and i felt like in that moment i released and relinquished the control of my life that i thought that i had yeah and all of a sudden it was like okay lord it's too much it's just it's too much and i give it to you and then since then i genuinely have had a deep peace like yeah. a peace that does Past understanding that has guarded my heart and my mind. Now, it doesn't change my circumstances, but it changes everything because I feel like I can, I don't feel like the same attachment to my life having to look a certain way in order for it to be fulfilling and good, like I did when I was younger. I feel like I had to release that, and that came through hard stuff and suffering. But God's presence and his peace has been like my companion. He's like mm-hmm. my, he's my life rope. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel so grateful for his presence because that has been my lifeline. Yeah. And I think in that, in that space of relinquishing control, I found so much freedom. And honestly, I think with COVID right now, that has like, I feel like everybody's a little bit in that boat. Like, yeah, you know, you see like, we're all having to relinquish control. Because it's a forced relinquishment because what yes. else are you going to do? What else are you, you know? going to do? Yeah. And and there's like a sense of, you know, I think there's a sense of entitlement that we all kind of live with. Yep. That you just assume that tomorrow is going to be like today, that mm-hmm. we're just going to live the next day like 
like we always do. Like, Mm -hmm. and we're kind of entitled to the life that we live. Yeah. But the reality is that we, with COVID now, like a lot of our freedoms have been taken away Mm -hmm. that we really only have. I think John Mark told me once that, um, we have like 15% of the control we think we yeah. have. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's like we really, all, the control we thought we had, we actually don't really have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a, such a freedom that comes from relinquishing control because if we actually do the soul work of it, I think that there's anxiety that can actually be replaced by peace. Yes. And, um, and, just an uns- living with uncertainty can actually be replaced with like gratitude mm-hmm. because now in hindsight, I mean, I would never ever choose the the story that I have per se. Yeah. But at the same time, like there's like I am so aware and so grateful for mm-hmm. the good in my life. Like I am yeah. so aware. I don't feel the same entitlement to aging gracefully Mm -hmm. that could be a complicated matter for me and you know hopefully it won't be but I don't know that and I think there's you know the domino effect of how it affects my family and you know and and my kids and especially my husband I mean gosh there's just there's a grief that comes with that but at the same time, like there's been a depth of friendship with my husband that I yeah. didn't even know was possible that came yeah. in the suffering years. It didn't come in the easy ones. Yeah. You know? How has, I love all that, Tam. I just think that is so beautiful and how it's an unforced, unfabricated hmm. joy and acceptance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and gratitude for what is versus resisting what isn't. Hmm. And I think we can fabricate that and force it till we're blue in the face. Mm-hmm. But you know, the people, you know, like the the older people who are the most joyful. I feel like older people are oh, either yeah. horribly grumpy <laughs> yeah. or incredibly mm-hmm. genuinely grateful and mm-hmm. joyful. And it's usually because they've lived it and they mm-hmm. lived really hard things and they are truly genuinely grateful for the toast that's on their plate yeah because they recognize they're not entitled to it and and every mm-hmm. day and every moment and everything is actually a gift mm-hmm. that god yeah. gives us and Absolutely. i i just love how what what i hear you saying is it's this journey that's been so far out of your control or your yeah. ideal that has brought you to a place of honest joy mm-hmm. and depth in relationship mm-hmm. with those around you, not a way that you would have chosen it for it to, you right, know, exactly. and you're still yeah. living with the unknowns. This isn't like tied up with a bow and yeah. I walked through that and it changed me. <laughs> yeah. and now I get to preach the message. It's, yeah. I walked through it. It changed me. I'm now open with myself and, yeah. my, and God and now I'm sharing it with others. And it's yeah. not all perfect. Yeah, and, and tied if it up progressed, in a, I would have to do, go through acceptance yes, all over all again. All over again. I yes. think that's the thing is like it's a continually – you're continually wrestling with mm-hmm. the reality of your life. Yeah. But the thing is that God – I love that he's called an ever-present help in time yes. of trouble. I mean, I think you really sense his witness when yeah. he's mm-hmm. – when you're struggling um, mm-hmm. and when there is uncertainty, you know? Yeah. How would you say this has changed your family dynamic? Because I know at the beginning you wanted to shield this from affecting your husband mm-hmm. and your kids or needing help with anything, mm-hmm. which I think all of us can relate with, yeah. you know. We want to feel like we've got it, we can conquer it, you yeah. know, and that we're independent mm-hmm. and 
But how has this changed, especially since things getting much harder than they ever were in the time when you were bedridden? Yeah. And, um, how has it changed your family dynamic and how has it changed how you talk to your kids about mm. all of this? I think, you know, it, it changed everything for us. I, I mean, with John Mark, when I was young, I mean, it's interesting to marry somebody so young, mm-hmm. when you're so young, to fall in love so young. You were 19. Yeah, I was 19 when I married him, but I was 16 when I met him. Yeah. I mean, I was 17 when I started dating him. And now, you know, at 38, I think, gosh, you know, I'm so grateful that I did. But our our story has not been like a fairy tale. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we had a fairy tale romance as teenagers, and we had a hard marriage in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And God has been so redemptive and so awesome. And I love my husband and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for our marriage. But I think I lived a lot of those early years trying to perform mm. for him, um, trying to be what I imagined the best wife could be. Like mm-hmm. I just thought when I get married, I'm just going to be a blessing to my husband. Like that was literally yeah. my thought process. And then to f- find out, you know, I had medical bills then. I was, it was embarrassing. A lot of like my issues, some of them were humiliating, like physically. Mm-hmm. I was so um, not the perfect woman that I had hoped to be. And yeah. there was a such a grief in in accepting the limitations of my ability to um to be what i what i wish i could be i mean it affected my memory and my brain my ability to intellectually connect at certain times um and i think um learning that i was loved and imperfect was a beautiful um, and hard reality for me. Yeah. Um, I think I grew up my whole life really embracing kind of a mold of perfection. Like that's like what I wanted to be seen as. And that's, I mean, my name actually means perfection. Like Tammy means perfect. <laughs> You're like, it's in my DNA. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and so I think being faced with the reality that I wasn't, not only was I not perfect, but there were times that I was a burden to my family Mm. um, was so heavy to me. It was like, ugh. but it made me like, I feel like some of the sweetest times with John Mark came when he was, you know, it was like, I was honest with him and I was like open in a soul intimacy way where you're so vulnerable because you just don't have another choice, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that has been one of the gifts of it. I think with my kids, that was hard too. Um, I have a very vivid memory, actually, at first being on a trip with you guys. It was actually both of you. We were on a trip. We were going to see mom speak at Ecclesia, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. um, You both had said to me, um, I think that you need to talk. I was talking about Jude, who was 11 at the time. And um, I remember you said, or maybe it was 10, but you said, I think he's old enough for you to talk to him about what's really going on. Mm. And I thought, oh gosh, like, I don't know about that. At the time, John Mark was traveling a lot. So I talked to John Mark on the phone. And then that night when I got back from this trip with you guys, I had, I remember I called Jude into my bedroom and I said, hey, bud, um, tell me what you think is going on right now with Mm. mom. 
And I remember he said, I know that you're really sick and that something is wrong with you, but I think that you and dad are hiding it from me. Wow. And I said, I mean, I remember just being like grieved in my heart and being like, oh, gosh, that's not how I want him to feel. Yeah. And I remember I said, you know, John Mark was gone. So I said, okay, well, here's the reality of it, bud. And I remember I told him the truth, but I told him not all the details. It's like not all the gory details. You know, you don't need to like tell your kids like the gory details. But I remember uh, actually Sunday's therapist once told me when you tell a kid a hard truth, you tell them something simple and you build upon it over the years. Mm. You never having to go back and and re take back what you said because mm-hmm. you you always want to build upon build truth. On it. Yeah. Um. But you don't need to give all the details at first. But I remember he was he's a sharp kid. Yeah, and, he is. And I just said, you know, honestly, bud, we don't know. That's why I'm having so many tests. Like we don't know what's going on, and um, I'm I know it's kind of uh, weird and stuff. But if you have any questions, you can ask me. And honestly, Jude, like if you come in here and you can't wake me and dad is gone, I need you to call 911. Wow. And I remember he kind of, he kind of like looked at me. It was like, there was like a moment of genuine um, understanding, but also kind of fear. And he said, can I just cuddle you for a minute, a few minutes? And he, I was like, of course. And he like cuddled into my lap. And then I remember I said, and then he like, I, I just cuddled with him and then I remember he stood up and it was like he kind of took on this almost like mantle of manhood mm-hmm. um, and he was like, I got this. And it was mm-hmm. like the next season when John Mark was, you know, gone a lot, it was like he became my little helper, like my person, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like the littler kids, they were aware of it, but we didn't have to talk about it so much. But definitely yeah. with Jude, we did. And mm-hmm. I think it built trust that he yeah. was part of it. You know, I felt like that was good counsel that you guys yeah. gave me. Cause mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes we think that sheltering our kids from truth, um, is helping them, but they're depending upon their ages. They're a lot so of the perceptive. Time, yeah. yeah. And if they can partner with you to feel like they're doing something to help, yes, that can actually be really healing for them mm-hmm. because I think if you rob them of the opportunity to help with anything or, you know, mm-hmm. then it, yeah. it really is kind of, uh, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, I think, yeah. I actually think even like what we're talking about with church culture and like interacting with other women and men too, but specifically I feel it with women, but in shallowness, I feel like we rob each other of, genuine intimacy and real connection yeah. when we're not honest with each other. Yes. Like, and that is where God meets us. Yes. He meets us when we're, yeah. we're honest. Like he, and, and I think it's so where he uses us in each other's lives mm-hmm. because, you know, that whole analogy that we are the body of Christ and yeah. that we're all a different body part. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. not all mm-hmm. with the same strength. Mm-hmm. So if one part is weaker, if the hand is not working, yeah. well, the rest of the arm is going to help out the hand yeah. to try to get things working again. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're not honest mm-hmm. with first ourselves and with God and then with others, then we are robbing people of the opportunity to mm-hmm. step in mm-hmm. in an area that maybe they're super gifted in or mm-hmm. 
or even for Jude to recognize, oh, we're a family team and yeah. I play a really vital role yeah. in that team. Mm-hmm. And for right now, my my teammate, my mom, or my coach, I guess, <laughs> yeah. want, I'm not a sports person at all. So this sports analogy is going to go downhill real quick. But um, <laughs> where you need some extra help and he's like, I got this. I can help. Yeah. When dad's gone, you know, what a what an amazing thing for a little 10, 11 year old Jude at the time mm-hmm. to see and to feel like he's playing a vital role. Mm-hmm. And when he goes through something hard or his wife does or whatever yeah. down the road, he's already going to know how you talk to God about it, how yeah. you operate as a family unit, how you serve your community, you know, from a moment of you just being honest mm-hmm. and appropriately so, you yeah. know, not overdoing it. And I think... Sometimes we overcomplicate what teaching our children th- things looks like, and we mm-hmm. think we have to know what we're doing or know the theology behind it yeah. or read a book and then talk to them about something. But the longer I'm a parent, and I by no means have this dialed or figured out, but I think the more we are walking this road with the Lord mm-hmm. and doing it honestly and, and as transparently as possible – and allowing God to form us and shape us, that is one of the biggest gifts and mm-hmm. teaching moments mm-hmm. we can give our kids. Mm-hmm. And you teach your kids to be vulnerable in that moment exactly, too. Exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. Because it gives them permission to yes. be mm-hmm. able to grieve too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that seems to be a theme that all of us have been talking about over this last series is first of all, God with us, Mm. which we know he's always with us. Mm -hmm. But I think in my years of speaking with women and talking to women and listening to women, a resounding theme I hear is, yeah, but I don't, I I don't actually live in a sense of an Mm -hmm. awareness of God with me. And Tammy, you said the same thing in the midst of this, Mm -hmm. the treasure that has come out of the darkness is an awareness of the withness of God. Um, I, I, Keep reading the same verse because you know how sometimes a phrase just sticks out at you. John 14, 18, where Jesus says to his disciples who are about ready to enter really a terrible suffering, um, he says, I will come to you. Mm. To me, that's just so assuring when I'm afraid of what could be. And mm-hmm. you live really a little bit in the constant cloud mm-hmm. of what could be. The fact that he will come to you, you know that. You've experienced mm-hmm. it. it. takes all the edge off of fear. But I'm seeing it also take the edge off of fear for your children. Mm-hmm. So Jude now knows, Sunday, Moses knows, mm-hmm. that when the worst happens and or when the worst is predicted as a possibility of happen, something almost, this is not a good theological word, <laughs> magical hmm. happens as we something in our hearts opens to the presence of God in a way that we were lonely for and didn't mm-hmm. even know it. Yeah, that's Elizabeth's experience. It's my experience, but it's also the the window that our children get into that there's so much more to walking with Jesus than living a moral life, mm-hmm. voting a certain way, being a certain way, yeah. going to a certain church. That that there is actually. The life that is truly life, mm. as Paul said to Timothy, mm-hmm. or eternal life that is starting now, the richness and mm-hmm. fullness of life that almost seems hard to walk into unless we've suffered. Yeah. And when, and not not the suffering is the key, it's that the fact that in our suffering, Jesus is so very present. Mm. And we have a taste of that presence. We're never satisfied again. 
for living outside of that presence. Then one other thing that that we just touched on just a little bit that I I think would be fun for a further discussion and to get people thinking about as we as women, as we think about old age, Hmm. and we see what happens to men and women, but we're women here, we're three girls. So (laughs) what happens when women reach old age Mm. and they haven't dealt with some of this stuff? Mm. They've pretended they've been perfect Mm -hmm. or they pretended they've been perfect. The kids maybe are grown up old enough now to start telling them they're not perfect and they still pretend Mm. or they wall themselves off. And what happens is becomes a shriveled caricature of the beautiful woman that God could have Mm. them be. Mm-hmm. One of those beautiful women was Isabel Moore. Was oh, I remember with her, her right before yeah. she died. She was in her nineties. Mm-hmm. You remember her? Oh, of course, yeah, she did. Everybody she's smiled. So she's everybody smiled. Total so classy older woman. Yeah. And we would have you know in our church full of young people. We'd have these these nights in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I remember once turning off to the side, and you know you have this. V- some women button down Christian women were very judgmental of some of our fresh young women coming to Jesus mm-hmm. because they maybe dressed and looked and smelled and did things differently. But I looked over there and Isabel's just glowing like one of the most beautiful women you've mm-hmm. ever seen. She's 92. It's like midnight. We're all praying. And she has her hands her on either side of the face of the most tattooed and um, pierced young women I've ever seen. Mm. Her hair is black and pink, and she really literally has pierces all, piercings all over her face. Mm. And Isabel is looking at her like she's just a sweet five-year-old girl, not this Aww. girl wounded by life. And she's just pouring love into her, and, and she sees this, this young woman for who she really is, not mm. for what she's hiding behind. And I remember looking across her thinking like, God, make me like her. Mm. I, I don't want to be this judgmental, unsympathetic, mm. perfect, fake. Mm-mm. I want to be like Isabel and see people through the eyes of love. And as you were telling your story, Tammy, and knowing that, you know, of course, nobody can see you right now, but you are very beautiful and you've been beautiful since you were a very little girl. Mm. So it's been a, a it's been, a, I mean, I know that you've been praised since you were a little Mm -hmm. girl, for being so beautiful. So here you get hit in the Mm -hmm. area of your life having to do with your beauty, and you surrender it to God. Mm -hmm. And even right now, I wish everybody could see you. Your face is just glowing with beauty. Mm -hmm. But it's a different kind of beauty. It's a empathetic, sympathetic, Mm -hmm. gentle, diving into other people's story Mm -hmm. kind of beauty like Isabel Moore. So I can just picture you you. with your hair white. She wore pearls all the time. (laughs) I don't know what you'll wear. And I can see you with your hands around the face Mm. of a young woman who's struggling Mm. and who's probably never been loved this way before. I I see you that way in old Mm. age. And I just Mm. think we need to keep having these conversations of who do we want to be? Do we want to be the perfect Christian woman? Mm. Or do we want to be truly beautiful women in old age who've surrendered and surrendered and surrendered and surrendered so that now we're we're just embracing mm-hmm. right up until the day we walk into the arms of Jesus. Yeah, I love that. 
Man, I can't think of a better way to end everything we've talked about. That's mm. just beautiful and hope-filled and mm-hmm. something to to do the work now to mm-hmm. pray into mm-hmm. that God would do in us in the future with all of yeah. our gray hair and our wrinkles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Tammy, thank you so much just for your transparency mm. and authenticity and bravery to just share um, the honest parts yeah. of your story. And um, I know I'm learning as I'm listening to you and my hope and desire is to live in transparency like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so just thank you for mm-hmm. giving us your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, here's a few ways that you can partner with us in this ministry. First is to give. Intentional Parents is a nonprofit and we rely on the generous giving of our partners. So please head over to our website, intentionalparents.org slash give if you would like to become one of our partners through giving. Second is to share it. If this has at all been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, and those that you know would be blessed by it. Third is to follow us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at intentional underscore parents. And lastly, if you would head over to iTunes, if you enjoyed today's episode and leave a review on iTunes, this helps us bring more hope, help, and healing for families.